This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. Docs in the Box podcast. We're back after a little bit of a break. Um, we have Amy here, of course, and Alice Heidecheck. Um, they were both just in Miami at Wadapalooza, and I'm stuck in uh, cold-ass Wisconsin still. So, <laughs> Alex, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Um, my name is Alex Heidechuk. I am a uh, first-year cardiology fellow at, at Thomas Jefferson um, and have been uh, doing CrossFit um, since 2014 and coaching uh, since 2016, I think. Um, and um, yeah, loved it uh, ever since I've done it. Got hooked, did it in Rochester initially and then in Hershey and now in, now in Philly. So it's been good. I'm, I'm happy to be here and chat with you guys. Cool. How did you initially find CrossFit? Like, what was it that had you, what was your road? Um, that's, that's actually funny. I, I remember spending like longer and longer at the gym. Um, just when I was in med school, I would go and bench and was like, oh, I need to add some cardio in. And I remember seeing like on Facebook or something like people doing like jump rope for, through CrossFit. And I was always like a fan of Rocky. And, um, so I was like, Oh, let me get like, I like Googled it and found one of actually like RX jump ropes, found one of those, got it. And I would like do jump rope before I would work out. And, I was like, what are these like double under things? Um, and for whatever reason, I was like good at them. Like I remember, uh, I mean, I whipped myself a bunch, but I remember kind of getting up to doing like a hundred in a row, like a c- couple days in. So I was like, okay. And then my other friend that I played hockey with um, was big into rowing. And he was like, yeah, you should also try rowing. And I got on a rower and it was like, oh, this is a pretty good workout. He's like, oh, like, what, what did you, what were you like pulling? I'm like, I don't really know. Um, I'll look the next time and I was pulling like a 230 or something like that and, and thinking that that was like hard he goes try to go for a seven minute 2k and I was like okay I'll try and I was like 8 15 or 8 30 nothing close but I could feel that kind of like I was like oh this is like something cool to to shoot for and then the, the final straw was my buddy road crew at Cornell and I was hanging out with him one weekend and he was also he's like oh but you should try CrossFit if you like this stuff, you like rowing and you're already doing jump rope and stuff. He's like, actually one of the challenges we did was like a sub, um, sub 130, 500 meter row. And then we basically, he's like, I haven't rowed in a while, so we should make a bet. See who could like do it first. And I was like, okay, I gotta like win this bet or see how hard that this is. I went home like the next day, um, and tried it in the morning before work and rode like a 131, and, and then was like, Oh my God, I got to get this and went back after work and, and did, like hit like 129. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm hooked. I got, I got to try CrossFit and went, went to the gym after that. Um, a friend in med school did it and, uh, like immediately was, was hooked. So you found all the pieces kind of individually. And then kind of piece them together one by one. Yeah, pretty cool. Exactly. And I remember walking in the first day, and it was like they used to do like heavy lifting on Wednesdays, and I was like doing like the on ramp or fundamentals in the back, and I'm walking through, and all these people are squatting and deadlifting, and I was like, I want to, I want to do that. Like, what do I have to do to do that? And they're like, Oh, you just, you know, like, well, onboard you, and and you'll get started. And and um, I worked out like once in like the boot camp gym, and they're like, Yeah, you can, um, you know you can take the other class this week and 
and start up next week if, if you're interested. And then like everybody got destroyed in my first workout, didn't know how to do pull-ups or anything, got crushed by burpees. I'm still very bad at, at, at burpees. So that hasn't changed. And um, yeah. And then, and then it's just been great since then. I think when you're in like medical school or residency, when you first start doing CrossFit, you realize it's like a really good, like a form of stress relief where you can kind of take your mind off things. Did you find that too? Yeah, for sure. And it was like more regimented, you know, you'd get an hour worth of worth of your time when your time is more limited. Um, you know, you're getting in there and you're getting a great cardiovascular workout and strength, like all into one. And you don't have to think about it. You just kind of show up and, and work hard, which you're kind of accustomed to doing, I think, in, in, in med school and whatnot. Yeah, so it's good. And you're a cardiology fellow now, which from my understanding, cardio cardiology fellowship is pretty brutal. So we, we'd order consults on the inpatient unit and the cardiology fellows would come around at like 9 PM to do because they were just like running ragged all over the place. Um, so how do you find time now to kind of fit in, to make fitness part of your routine? Like, how do you manage to do that? Um, I feel like it's, it's one of those things. Like if you just keep the momentum going, it's not that bad. And because it's been part of my like daily routine for so many years now, it's, not that hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you work long hours and you're tired at the end of the day, I think, I think that that starts to become a struggle. Um, and I've definitely taken some time off for, I remember like interviewing and and whatnot, and then it's always hard to get back into it. So I, I kind of find that if you just keep on going, just try to get that hour in a day, at least like four, you know, three, four days a week minimum. I mean, I, I like to go more, um, and then really just kind of have the, it just built into your schedule. Like I just get out of work and go straight to the gym. Um, it also helps that I live across the street from the gym and a block from the hospital. So that's, and that was a big part of like me choosing where I was living. Um, and so that, that definitely helps, but yeah, we, we get kind of busy on service and, and on call and stuff like that. Now doing more like 24s, there's obviously times when I just can't make it. So I just, that's just life. Yeah, I think that's a good outlook to have too. You just got to get those workouts in whenever you can. And then I'm sure there's some quick little like call room workouts that you have too, if you really need to squeeze it in. <laughs> we used to, in residency, when I was on nights, um, we started like a push-up challenge where like every day um, we would just go for a max set and we were on for like two weeks. And actually like a bunch of the girls that I was doing it with, like some of them were getting up to like 30, 35 push-ups like in a row, everybody was basically like doubling like their starting point. And I mean, I, I just feel like that's like just a big testament to just, you know, you start doing something and it, if you just keep at it, it doesn't take, um, you know, you, you improve so, so much quicker if you just, it's just that sustainability, you got to keep on doing it. Um, and then you start making progress. I mean, I think it's part of the reason why CrossFit appeals to us as physicians, because we're very data, we're data-driven people um, who like instruction. So it kind of provides us the roadmap and then ways to track our progress, which works out well for us. Um, so a few years ago, you did like a 30 Murphs in 30 days. First of all, why would you subject yourself to such a thing? (laughs) But also why, like, how did that come about? Like, what was your, what was Uh, your thought process? This is, this is really funny. It's another actually thing that that stemmed from residency, um, because like over the summer, so the summer before COVID, 
we did like a 30 day like wellness challenge where every, the goal was just to get everybody moving. And so we just set out to do just run a mile a day or pick a distance or do 15 to 20 minutes of exercise. And we actually built, got, got like the whole like hospital to do this, you know, people that wanted to do it. And so every, everybody loved it. We just like, it was like a 30 day challenge. And so basically COVID hit and I was like, oh, I kind of want to do another one of these 30 day challenges. And I had already done, like, I think I was running, like when we did that, I ran like three or four miles a day for 30 days. I mean, I hate running. So I was like, I'm not doing that again. Um, but one of my buddies, so this was, this was March, this is right before COVID. Um, he was like, I want to get better at Murph. And he was like, I'm just going to start doing a form of Murph or maybe full Murph on like the weekends, maybe every other weekend leading up to May. And I was like, oh, all right, like I'll, I'll do it with you. Um, and so we did it like the weekend before COVID hit. And then we were sitting there, we both coached at the gym and then the gym closed down. And actually I was like on a research block. And so I can't, I didn't really like doing work at home because it's just like you get bored. Um, so I still had a key to the gym. So I just go to the office in the gym and do work there. And then I would work out like on the side. And we were sitting there and we were like, oh, we should do another 30 day challenge. <laughs> and we were like, what about Murph for 30 days? And we both looked at each other like, no, that's like a stupid idea. And then like next day I come in, I'm like, I think we should do it. Like, wh what's the worst that happens? Like, I don't know. I was like, probably going to tear my hands, but like not doing anything else. So it was just like, okay, like, let's go for it. Um, and uh, just basically went for it was like, okay, if I make it through like the first week, I think that my body can handle it. Um, and it's, I was especially careful about the hands. I was like, if, if the hands go, then, then I'll, I'll lose it. And I was like, I, I'm pretty sure that I can do it physically. Um, but I didn't really like train for it, just obviously doing CrossFit. And so I was like, okay, like, let me track my times. And that's when I started looking at all my whoop data. Cause I was obviously doing it for an hour a day. And so I was like thinking about all these things. And this was, this was during COVID now. So um, what made it fun was I would like post on Instagram and I'd be like, if someone wants to do it with me this day, you can like pick the, the way that we'll break it down and I'll do it with you that day. And so it made like a sign up sheet. And so it was almost like working out with people, but doing it remotely. So like one day someone's like, okay, you got to do it strict unpartitioned in the runs on the air runner. And I was like, oh my gosh, like why? But just kind of just just did it and i made my one my my one friend cat do it uh, like once a week with me uh she was another coach there and so yeah just kind of um kept on doing it and like by the second half like it really wasn't it really wasn't an issue um like one of the days we did it in the morning and then um me and my one friend who i started the challenge with but he kind of backed off um because he wasn't didn't want to come to the gym because of like COVID things. You, we like did a, I did Murph in the morning and then we did a marathon row um, in the after, in the afternoon, like from the, we watched like the games clip and um, yeah, that took me three and a half hours. So that was, uh, that was that. Wow. That's an insane volume. Did the way that you did Murph change over time when you did it? Like, what was your strategy? Do you have a new strategy now? Yeah. So the strategy, so, I mean, obviously the, there's a sweet spot with how many ways you break it up. Like I did it unpartitioned a bunch of times. Um, like when I first started doing it, you know, you do the five, 10, 15 or whatever. 
Um, I think that's like the most traditional way. Then the games, they did it like the, the five rounds of like 20, 40, 60. Um, I never, I don't think I broke it down any more than, than that. Like, I don't think I ever did like two, two or three rounds or something like that. Um, but my favorite way actually was 25 rounds of four, eight, 12. And actually what I would do was I would start with the eight push-ups, and then I would stand up, jump up to the pull-up bar, do four pull-ups. And then like my last pull-up, I would like drop down into the squat. And I would do those on an e like I would have the running clock and I would do it basically on an EMOM. I would try to get done with the work in 20 or 30 seconds or whatever. And I would just like sit down and like mark off around. And then I would start on the minute. And then I would repeat the 25 round way, like every, I don't know, five days or so. And each time I did it, I would try to do it on like every 55 seconds and every 50. Um, and so like, I, like, I think day 20, 24, or 27, I did it the fastest. Um, that time I actually did it in 20 rounds. So I did, I did 20 rounds every 45 seconds and the runs were fast. I think I was just under 32 minutes with, with a vest. It was all of the best. Wow. And the, that the, is day, insane. the day after I was like, Oh, I wonder what this, so I did 30 days. And then the day after I was like, I wonder what this feels like without a vest. It was actually like worse because you're just going as fast as you can. And like the, I was like running in like six, 15 miles. And then it's just like, you can't stop, like nothing is stopping you at that point. It becomes so much more cardiovascular and less of like muscle fatigue. Um, and then the, the, the next day, some, um, uh, this guy named Dan Vitale, he's a former fullback for the, um, uh, Packers. He posted this like challenge, which was like a pushup challenge is 20 pushups a minute for an hour. It was like 12, so 1200 pushups. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if I could do this. And we, um, I zoomed with a couple of my buddies from home and we all, we all did it. So it was like 10 pushups every 30 seconds for an hour. And like the last 10 minutes, even though like you're so close, they were, it was, it was hard. So you're just like abusing yourself is what it sounds like. Basically, it, I was definitely yeah, okay. working up to it though. Like I, I, I couldn't do that now. Um, I couldn't hit any of those times now. It's really the push-ups that like, you know, I think everybody that does Murph, um, you're going to hit your snags on something. But I think in general, like if you're, if you're RXing workouts, like hundred pull-ups isn't that bad. Um, and 200 push-ups doesn't sound bad, but it's, it's such short, like, succession that you just don't have time to recover and like once once your push-ups go they just go you know and there's and then the air squash is just kind of cardio it's my least favorite part just because it's like so monotonous like you got to be doing something like I would, I would like walk up and down the gym in different like boxes when I would do it on partition and stuff Alex have you used any devices to track your recovery like when you're doing any of this like whoop or anything yeah. Yeah. So I got into whoop in 2017. Um, and I've been a big fan of it since then. Um, so I, I had it through the end of med school and then in residency and I started looking at my, my data in residency to, to try to help me like sleep better. Uh, even though like sometimes like you're just kind of stuck with it. It was, it was more observational than something that I could really make a, a change with. Cause as you know, like you're kind of stuck, you know, you're, you're doing your best, but like, I mean, you're working a lot and you have to eat. I mean, that right there, sometimes just you're in the ICU or something like that. You're just not going to be sleeping a lot. Um, and so, yeah, so when I was doing Murph, I would look at my whoop data, um, specifically uh, HRV. Um, 
and then watching like the resting heart rate, like the average basically um, decrease like throughout like the month of MRF and everything like that. HRV was like steadily increasing. Um, and, uh, and my sleep was basically pretty constant. I was trying to, um, I was trying to maximize that, but I was still my average, I, I averaged like five and a half hours a night. It's not great. Um, so I wanted to basically see like how that correlated with the times. And so then I, I put it all into Excel and I ran regressions and I, I wanted to see like, is like the, does my time correlate with, you know, HRV or resting? I ran all the single like variant and multivariate regressions. And then also wanted to see like if refractory time, like time between workouts, you know, if I did it at night one time, cause I was on service too. So like, and I was in the ED, like with crazy like shifts. So I'd be doing it like 11 PM, like one night after work. Um, and luckily it wasn't that cold, but, uh, yeah, the times didn't correlate with, with like the refractory period, it, everything correlated the most with the amount of rounds that I did it in that, that was like what made the biggest difference. And can, so for the people who don't know, can you explain a little bit like HRV and what it is? Oh, and yeah. also from, as a cardiologist, do, do you hold much weight in that? measure because so, there's been some debate as to whether or not it's actually yeah. a good use of you know HRV, like HRV is a very very interesting measure and I'll be completely honest with you when I first had whoop like I didn't really know what HRV meant I was like oh it's like something with the heart which I was like oh man I probably should know that but it's like sounds like pretty complex um and obviously it's built into the recovery score you know like the big picture you can just kind of look at your recovery and so when I was kind of analyzing some of my own data and, you know, really just having conversations with people, I started looking to it a little bit more. Essentially what, what HRV is, it's, it's a measure of um, the balance of your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So, you know, sympathetic being fight or flight, parasympathetic being rest and digest. And then it's how your heart rate responds for that. So it's actually uh, basically the standard deviation of your RR intervals or your, your beat to beat variation of your heartbeat as that changes kind of think of it as like an accordion. Um, and so when you're really, when your body's like really beat up and things like that, um, you're not going to be as responsive to stimuli. And so even when you get a sympathetic, um, stimuli, which would increase your heart rate, you're not, you're not really responding to that as much. So you're going to take longer to respond. So your variability is going to be much less. So that'll give you a low HRV. And then when you're, when you're sleeping a lot, you're well-rested, you're energized, you're primed and ready to go. Um, you know, this, the second that you have that, um, that sympathetic stimuli or parasympathetic stimuli, like it'll change your heart rate. Um, and so there's also different ways to look at that, that gets into more like statistical analysis. Um, and, and so that's definitely like, like higher level. And we actually look at HRV as a metric in culture monitors that we look at for people with arrhythmias and stuff. So it's actually a, a clinically useful thing. It, you don't look at it a ton. Um, if you're looking at teleon patients, you can actually, um, see like a variability term. It, it's in one of the, um, one of the boxes that, that you can choose. And it actually shows like regularity. Sometimes you can look at that to, to see if like someone's an AFib or not, like a very quick and dirty way. Um, but anyways, uh, so, you know, the more and more I looked into HRV, I was like, this is very interesting. It's, it's very powerful, but it has to be um, kind of interpreted 
correctly. And I, I think that, that that's almost difficult unless you truly understand what it means. Um, but WHOOP uh, does it well. They actually standardize when it's collected, which is in the last five minutes of your last cycle of um, slow wave sleep overnight, slow wave or deep sleep. And so that kind of takes away any ex extrinsic stimuli that will change it. Um, like you can look at continuous HRV, like basically the standard deviation of your RR interval throughout the day, but having it standardized at night will, will give you more of almost like an internal control because it's always like against yourself at the same period of sleep every night. So do you think it's a valuable tool for the average person to just be monitoring that and looking at it? I think it is. Um, so everybody's going to have a different baseline. So it's, it's an apples to oranges comparison from, from person to person. Um, but it's very good to look at, I think, your own level of fitness in a sense with changes over time, uh, but also acutely with kind of changes in your, your day-to-day -day habits, um, what's going to affect your HRV. Um, you know, anybody that's gone out and had a good time with some alcohol will notice that their recovery is low. If you look at the specific numbers, um, the HRV is usually the, the number that'll change from baseline um, the most. Um, resting heart rate will also take quite a hit with an increase in, in your resting heart rate. Um, now, it, it can be um, like difficult because sometimes, you know, is it because I trained a lot or is I'm, am I like just like stressed or whatnot? And so I think that that's where it gets kind of tricky. But as a, as an overall term, I think it is, um, valuable to look at. And, and now actually with whoop, they'll give you a performance assessment, which will show your average HRV like throughout the months. And so you can kind of see if you're generally increasing fitness in my opinion. Um, and so I remember looking at mine, like, and if you look at it during, um, like when I was doing Murph and everything like that, like it was just steadily increasing. Um, and then like, I looked at it the next year over that same period and I knew I wasn't training as hard and, and whatnot. And it just kind of bouncing around sometimes like it's really like on a downslope and I know that I'm not, you know, hitting the gym as hard or usually correlates with not having as much free time. I mean, also it's comparing using that as a, as a measurement, as opposed to like, just like a regular, like, like heart rate monitor, for example, or how would you, like what, what do you think is the kind of plus minuses of, you know, benefits uh, and things that are not so great about using like a regular standard heart rate monitor versus something like a whoop? Right. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, so there's kind of standard things like, you know, that'll, that'll show your heart rate during the workout and whoop does that as well. You know, you can, you can look at that. It's great. You can kind of get nice little pictures when you're doing interval work and whatnot. Um, and then other things like Fitbit in particular, will use like step counting. Um, I think that the reason why HRV is, is very uh, powerful. And I think why it's like one of the better metrics to look at is because it, it incorporates more of your, like, kind of like your integrative physiology, because really it's your autonomic nervous system. Um, it's a, it's a surrogate of, of like your autonomic tone. Um, and that's obviously influenced by a lot of things. Um, but, you know, if you're kind of doing the same thing, with, whether you're training or even whether you're just generally using it for kind of like lifestyle things, um, you can kind of uh, adjust your habits and, you know, your sleep hygiene and, and whatnot. And, and you can use HRV as a measure to see like, is what I'm doing like better or worse? 
versus just looking at your heart rate or your step count, which is very like you govern that, like, you know what your step count is. Like you can go out and falsely elevate that or like go on a walk. I mean, I can walk 10,000 steps, but like, you know, or you can do like Fran and, you know, you're, you're going to feel like a lot different the next day, obviously, if you do Fran and that's not necessarily going to be, um, captured by your heart rate because your heart rate is elevated for two to three to four minutes, but you're, you're laying there afterwards and you're like, someone just like hit me by with a bus. Um, and so generally the next day that'll be captured kind of in your own physiology of like, oh man, my HRV is really low. My recovery is really low. Um, and then people always ask like, what then, so then what do you do with that data? Like, do I not train that next day? Like, cause my recovery is low. And I think if you have the luxury of taking rest days when, when your recovery is low, that's, that's great. I think when a lot of us are busy, you know, you're going to look at that and be like, well, I'm not going to not train today. So I, I, I think that the best advice that I've heard for that, um, and that I do as well is when you're really low recovery, still train, but maybe don't like hit that extra workout or that extra lifting session and, and maybe focus a little bit more on mobility or make sure you're really focusing on hydrating that day or doing some, maybe doing that swap out an active recovery workout that day instead of like, you know, repeating an open workout. So I, I think that it, it allows you to, to, to guide your training very well. Um, and specifically looking at HRV as like the best part of that. Um, you know, I, I like resting heart rate that that's great, like over time, but I would never be like, Oh, my resting heart rate was up or down. I'm not going to change that recovery kind of takes all of that into account, including respiratory rate. But I think like HRV is really the, um, the best part of it. And with respiratory rate, I I've seen some things recently about how whoop data has been sort of predicting COVID infection with increased respiratory rate. Have you yeah. into that? Yeah. So, uh, whoop actually published a really interesting paper. Um, I think it was in 2020 it was like Miller at all. Um, it's a good paper. They, they basically looked at the, the standard whoop metrics and, um, like sampled people that, that had COVID or that they knew had COVID that was reported, um, self-reported. And then, they collected a ton of data, basically developed an algorithm, and then ran it on a test set. And it would it was act, it was predictive of um, like a a good portion of people about three days before symptom onset, um, and then it was at least eighty percent um, sensitive and, speci and specific by like day three, like post infection. Um, and then you'll see a lot of kind of so that that I think that was a good paper um, and. Uh, a lot of N of one data that you'll see kind of on social media of people looking at their heart rate spikes because it gives you a nice kind of readout of your 25th to 75th percentile, like a gray shaded area. And then you'll see like a lot of screenshots of like, oh, my respiratory is fine. And then like it jumps here and it was like, I also felt like crap. And then I tested positive for COVID like that day and I quarantined. Um, so I, I think that that's actually, um, like a pretty useful, um, ancillary, you know, objective metric to look at, um, especially with, with COVID and, you know, it's, it's been so crazy over the past like couple years with, with that, but I, I actually do think it's, it's helpful. Um, and especially now with like the lack of tests and, and whatnot, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of positive feedback on, on social media from, from folks about that. 
it's super interesting, right? Looking, I'm now thinking back to like when the Apple Watch first came out and then people were saying that they could use it to detect AFib. So these are just looking at their, their rhythm, right? And if it's a little bit abnormal, then it pings it. Do you know how those work? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the, uh, there's actually a couple of interesting studies related to that. Um, the, the Apple um, Heart Study, which was published a couple of years ago, I think in the New England Journal, I can't remember. And then this last year, uh, there was a Fitbit Heart Study, uh, which was presented at, at AHA looking at um, AFib detection. That one, interestingly, had 72 or 73% female enrollment, which I think was awesome because I think females are overall underrepresented in, in randomized clinical trials. Um, so I think that that was like a huge um, win for the investigators. I hope that that can kind of continue to really set the standard because that was like a large scale trial. Um, but anyways, back to your question, um, a lot of them will basically use like the, the, the new Apple watches, um, they you can actually like hold it on two, um, like on the side. And so you'll get like a, like a one lead EKG and, and I've looked at it and it, it looks solid. You know, you can definitely see if it's normal sinus rhythm. It, it's just like having telly basically. Um, now I think the Apple heart study only used, um, basically, um, like, like beat to beat, um, like signals and said, you know, is this regular or irregular? And then they would ping those people and send them a, a 12 lead EKG to take at home. And then those people um, then were, were screening and, and stuff like that. And it didn't show any improvement in outcomes or anything like that. I didn't really expect it to. Um, it obviously showed a larger um, diagnosis uh, but it might've been asymptomatic. The question is, is that clinically significant? So it's a big subject of debate with basically like screening and is that necessary to screen? Cause then that person ends up like on warfarin or whatever. And then they like get admitted with a bleed and you know, is that good? Like, or they would have been fine without it. So, I mean, you can make the argument for, for both sides there, which I think is one of the reasons why you kind of have to proceed with caution once, once you get into that, like, you know, using these devices as like clinical grade devices, because I don't think that they qu they're quite there yet. And you're doing some work or you've done some work of as far as using uh, the devices to look into residency burnout and things like that. So what 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 have you done as, as pertains to that subject? Yeah, so that was um, that was very, very interesting. Um, project. And uh, it's actually, it started, it started, this all stemmed from Wadapalooza two years ago, because I was home training and we competed on a team there, um, like two years ago, the last time that it happened, 2020, right before COVID. And I was home in Rochester training for it. I was on vacation. I was kind of bored. And I was like, oh, let me look at my 18 months of data through residency to see like how I was sleeping and, and whatnot, and what rotation I was on. And I would see like these huge, these like massive swings and I would line it up on my, um, against my schedule. And I was like, Oh, yep. Sleeping like four hours a night here. That was the ICU. Like I'm on clinic consults, vacation, whatever, increase the sleep. And then the HRV would, would kind of correlate with that. And, and same thing with, with the resting heart rate and, and whatnot. So I was like, this is interesting that it's, um, like correlating and, and, um, I was kind of using, um, like similar, um, I, I looked at that and then I continued to look at my, my MRF data actually, because it was really like comparing 
it was just like mixed, um, like, um, uh, mixed effects model of like repeated, um, like points that you were measuring. I probably butchered the statistical um, explanation of that. Um, but um, basically what, what I found was that there was a decent correlation, but it was N of one. So I was like, okay, can we look at this on a larger scale in residency? Um, because we know we're not sleeping a lot, but, and we know that everybody's burning out. And this was actually before COVID even hit. Um, and, but everybody I think would agree that the way that we handle burnout and wellness is like kind of bullshit. You know, you get like these wellness modules and it's like, these are mandatory. We're not going to send you your paycheck or like something like that. You're going to get a fine. And you're like, okay, this is like literally anti-wellness. Um, and like the way it's asked, it's like, are you well? You're like, well, I'm not going to say that I'm unwell because I'm like going to get in trouble and someone's going to make me like, I don't know, like everybody. Take another module. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh, this will open up all this extra stuff that you, now you got to go like explain to someone like why you're burned out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. So I was like, can we passively measure like changes in your physiology or can you measure it? Not necessarily with whoop, but is there a way to measure your physiology um, and passively so that you don't have to answer surveys and whatnot? Um, and so in order to validate that, I was kind of looking at HRV is a very interesting term. We normally looked at it as a um, uh, sign of like physical strain, but I was also noticing in my data, particularly in the ICU, my HRV was just like, in the tank, like the whole month. And I was actually sleeping a decent amount. Um, and, uh, I was like, man, I really think that it, it's capturing like the physical, um, or sorry, the, the emotional and, and mental stress of residency and, and being in a high stress environment and whatnot. Um, so we, we got funding and, and we put together this, um, prospective clinical trial of 12 months with 40, about 40 residents. Um, at Penn State Hershey, and we we followed them with with periodic surveys of burnout, wellness, um, depression, um, some uh, other like physician well being index, and all of these are basically literature validated surveys of, of burnout and wellness. And we use the PHQ nine, which I think a lot of people are familiar with as well. Um, and so we, we ran that study for 12 months and actually uh, still in the process of, of analyzing the data, but the, we finished the study over the summer. Um, and in the interim, um, we actually ran an analysis of, because everybody got vaccinated in, in residency. And so we, we ran an interim analysis on the physiologic changes of the COVID vaccine, uh, which was, I think, pretty timely. Um, and we published that over the summer. Um, and, and it basically showed that you, ha you had decreases in HRV uh, following both vaccine doses. Um, you had a initial um, drop in sleep on, on day one and then a compensatory increase on day two, three and four um, for the vaccine doses. And I think very importantly was there was no changes from baseline um, in respiratory rate or resting heart rate, which was something that was very different than, than what you'd see if you actually had COVID infection. Um, and early on, everybody was like, oh, like, I feel like bad. Is this COVID or is this a side effect from the vaccine? So I think that was actually important data um, to show. And the other interesting thing was that um, we ran regressions on people that were sleeping more um, prior to vaccines. They actually had a larger decrease in HRV 
Um, and our, interpret our interpretation of that was essentially having a larger physiologic response. Um, obviously we didn't compare it to antibody titers or like protection against infection or immunity, um, but the it was hypothesis generating and essentially saying like, if you sleep more prior to the vaccine, um, does that actually give you more robust protection? You kind of make sense, you know, like if your body's more apt to responding to a stimuli, in this case, like your B cells producing antibodies of the spike protein, um, then maybe it would give you a um, better protection. And the readout of that was a decrease in HRV. That would make sense because essentially you're using more of your body's resources to generate these um, antibodies and, and whatnot. And it's actually similar to what's been seen with inf influenza um, and hep B vaccination. Um, there's been a couple studies looking at HRV in those. Um, so it correlated with that nicely. So that was kind of an offshoot thing, but I think pretty timely. And now we're in the process of, of analyzing the, the larger cohort of, of data uh, for residency wellness. And I, I'm, I'm very um, hopeful that, that we learn some things from it. Um, maybe we learn, um, you know, something different than initial hypothesis, which was that HRV would help predict like when people are either burned out or maybe impending burnout. Um, and I'm not sure if it's going to be one metric or, you know, it'll, full, it'll, it'll be almost like this, this composite um, of like a couple different things. Uh, but I think that that will be um, uh, very interesting. I'm, I'm excited to, to dig deep and currently digging deep into those results and exciting to share that eventually. Yeah, finally having some objective data on burnout would be nice because as everybody in you know medicine knows, we just go by what people say and that can become very difficult. And there's a huge stigma around taking surveys and reporting things. So yeah, that's super interesting. That's a great idea. Yeah, we were trying yeah. to do something like that in our hospital and we just get this grant and then it never happened. So then it kind of got tanked. But I think the important part of it also is once the data is collected, then actually using that to then implement some change in work hours and call schedules and things like that. Cause that's where it really, it's nice to know it, but now it's like, okay, well let's do something about it. <laughs> you know? Right. And it, exactly. It's like, you know, it's one thing to measure something, but it's gotta be actionable data. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know who said this quote. I know, um, Will Ahmed, um, quotes it a decent amount. Like if you can't track it, you can't change it. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, but I think for burnout and wellness, like it's, it's a very difficult thing because it's like, okay, so obviously like the entire medical community will agree that we're all burnt out to some extent, um, just, but we don't really have a solution for it. Um, and you know, as you get more and more like things put on your plate, everything's difficult with COVID, you know, you, you can't see your friends, you can't see your family. Um, you're wearing masks everywhere. There's lack, there's lack of, um, human interaction. Like what, how do we do that? Uh, you know, what, what do we do to, to prevent that burnout or to enhance people's wellness? And it's, it's a tough question. You know, I, I think that if you have objective data, that certainly helps. Maybe it'll help with scheduling. Um, that was one of our big things in, in residency um, that, that kind of hypothesis was that, can you use this data to tailor people's schedules so that you're not like doing like back-to-back -back months of like nights and then the ICU and then something else hard you know, you got to offset that with like something that's a little bit more chill rotation that you have like some weekends off and you can kind of, um, it, we joke on Twitter, this is like a cardiology joke of like having that diastolic time, you know, to kind of enhance your wellness 
and and recover and you know fill the ventricle with blood so wow that is that is definitely a cardiology uh cardiology joke right there <laughs> sorry i had to put one that was uh, oh boy i'm sure there's a whole there's a whole bunch of them wait yeah i i mean the rest of them usually are involved with um or centered around uh implementing guideline directed medical therapy for um things uh, and we there was a, a tutorial that we put there like a string of tweets that actually joked around with uh, Jim Januzzi, who's a big heart failure uh, cardiology guy at uh, Mass General. And we were comparing um, the four pillars of guideline-directed medical therapy to um, uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and, and basically, like, I think uh, Aaron Rodgers was beta blocker and um, uh, Arnie was like Tom Brady and then um, Josh Allen and Mahomes were um, spironolactone and, and uh, SGLT2 inhibitors. So, yeah, that's, uh, I think we're a little bit. Wow. Now, wow. Every, everybody, everybody should now know, you know, like how to implement um, GDMT into their, uh, into their heart failure patients. So that's what I'm here for. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> when you were looking at the, uh, or now that you're looking at the burnout data, do you find, or have you experienced this, that as someone who prioritize, prioritizes fitness in your life, that something like a wacky schedule would actually burn you out more than it would someone who doesn't do that stuff anyway? Like if, like for, for us, like missing a workout, missing that, it, not having the ability to move our bodies drives us crazy. Whereas if you're someone who's sort of sedentary at baseline and you're not doing that stuff on, have you found any difference in that? or have you even looked into that? It's, it's one of the things it, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent point. Um, and it's one of the things we're trying to look at. The question is really just like, how do you tease that out in the data? Um, and basically our idea, like how to ask that question of the data, because we have the whole data set basically like ready to analyze in, in different forms. Um, but you can basically compare people with crazy schedule, or you can kind of grade like the craziness of your schedule um, and then correlate that with burnout. And I think we have a large enough cohort that that's actually like powered to, to answer those questions. I don't have the answer for you right now, but I think anecdotally speaking, um, the more work, the more almost like in planned or intended workouts that I miss, like the worse I, I feel. And I feel like that generally, you know, missing workouts generally correlates with having a crazier schedule. So I think that, you know, you know, normalizing, or I guess, I don't know if that's the right term, but making a more consistent schedule definitely helps with getting to the gym more and then getting to the gym more helps with, you know, prevention of burnout or, you know, enhancing your wellness and things like that. And I think that the gym is almost like a surrogate for like, whatever makes you feel good. You know, maybe for us, it, it's the gym, maybe for someone else, it's like, going on a walk with their family. Um, but like, you still kind of need the time for that or you need it built into your schedule. And, you know, when you're flipping back and forth to nights and you haven't seen like daylight for two weeks, it's, it's kind of tough and it, and it runs you down. And do you get a lot of pushback in the cardiology community for being a CrossFitter or <laughs> as do you, cause I know we get it on our end, but yeah. So it's, I think it's less so then maybe kind of in like the the sports med or the PMNR or the ortho worlds that are kind of 
dealing with that a little bit more. Um, I think in cards, we're generally just happy if you're exercising. And so in my premise in general is like, whatever works for you, I'm happy with, like, I never try to get anybody to do CrossFit. Um, I'm like, it's, it, listen, it works for me. Um, and whatever's going to get you to the gym a handful of days a week and, and get you to kind of push yourself and, and break a sweat, um, you know, both to improve your cardiovascular fitness, um, but also just to kind of blow steam off with, which is, you kind of mentioned at, at the beginning, um, you know, I think that that's like, that's really the end goal is like, how do you get to that point? Yeah. And I think it's super interesting. You're taking like a basically like wearable fitness device and carrying that over to the medical community. And you're in like a great position to do that, right. In cardiology. So are there any other things you have planned like this stuff you want to look at? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and I, I, I completely agree. I mean, so we started with this resident, um, wellness and, and burnout study. Um, and obviously I'm not a wellness and burnout like researcher. Um, my background actually, um, was in, uh, like pharmacology and physiology and biophysics. And I was actually in the MD PhD program at university of Rochester and left the lab after three years. Cause my boss moved and I was gonna have to restart like project from scratch. It's like, I got to move on. I was doing like radioactive binding assays and whatnot. And, um, so I always was kind of like a research nerd. So that part wasn't new. It was just the application of it. Um, and when I got to residency, I fell in love with cardiology and very soon like heart failure. My first project was actually looking at a, a wearable vest, um, that measures heart sounds electronically. Um, and that you can basically gate the certain heart sound, obviously S1, S2, love dub, um, but S3, which is right after S2, um, is in, in early diastole and it's a, a sign of basically volume overload, which is a surrogate of heart failure or acute heart failure. And so we're, we're looking at um, this with, with this wearable um, and trying to correlate to that to um, heart failure hospitalizations. So it was already, already into kind of, um, you know, algorithm development and things like that. And so then I started doing stuff with Loop with that and I was like, and this would be really interesting to, to kind of look at multi-parameter monitoring using WHOOP um, for heart failure patients. So we actually have a clinical trial um, in that that's been enrolling for, um, I think, about eight or nine months now. Um, and we have a decent amount of, of, of patients in that. Um, and we've seen, we've seen some very interesting data, especially um, since the nocturnal respiratory rate is part of like what WHOOP captures. Um, and so we we're talking about it for COVID and maybe it's not as applicable to the um, general fitness enthusiast, but for someone who's coming in with dyspnea on exertion or orthopnea or paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, you know, looking at nocturnal respiratory rate is like exactly what you want to be looking at. Um, and so I think that that's going to be a very um, powerful way to look at it. Um, and a lot of these other devices are either implantable or you have to wear like kind of like a bulky vest. Um, obviously, Whoop is, is pretty simple to wear. So we've gotten pretty good feedback on, on that. Um, and, and we're kind of excited to see that. Also, just the changes in your sleep, you know, like your sleep habits, obviously worsening heart failure. It's like, oh, how many pillows are you using and, and whatnot. So really any chronic disease, I think, is going to impact like your sleep. Um, it's going to be interesting to, to see the changes in the HRV. 
Um, HRV was actually studied a decent amount in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s as a response to heart failure therapies. Um, like there was some paper using, using um, carvedilol um, as a response to therapy. So it's going to be interesting to, to see that. Um, and then the last thing that, that we have going is actually in inflammatory bowel disease patients, um, which is not my specialty, but um, again, using WHOOP, um, and we partnered with the um, IBD Center at, at Penn State Hershey um, and, and enrolled um, uh, several patients in this trial and, and followed them prospectively tracking IBD flares and seeing if um, if the WHOOP metrics can be predictive, you know, if there's a change from baseline prior to the flare. Um, and then also if there's any flares, how does, how does that, how do those metrics change as like a response to therapy? And we actually had a couple of people that, that had flares through that study um, and had colonoscopies to confirm the flare and, and, and were either up titrated on, on steroids or started on a new biologic and, and basically showed like improvement uh, back to baseline of some of the metrics. So um, really just a feasibility and exploratory study, uh, both of these for heart failure and IBD. But I think there's a lot to, to do in, in those spheres. And especially as we moved into, in, into 2022, uh, digital health is like a big focus and almost like patient empowerment as well, because you, know, you, can, you can have that, that real-time biometric feedback. And I think that that not only helps the clinician maybe manage things, um, but also helps the, the patient take, um, you know, kind of their, their healthcare or their health into their own hands. And, and, you know, the event, the goal is that they don't need us at all, but, you know, we're always here to help. So I think like, just continue to learn as much as we can with, with, with some of these um, studies and, and continue to work for the betterment of the, the people that we take care of. Wow. So sounds like you have a lot going on. <laughs> Pretty busy guy. <laughs> so those are yeah, those are the the, the the wearable studies. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a good time. I love it. So Alex, I don't want to keep you the whole night. Where can people find you to get more information? So I'm on um Twitter. Uh my Twitter handle is a Hyduchuk, um my, my first letter, my first name, and I'll put uh, it in the show notes. Okay, awesome. And then I'm on Instagram, I think it's a Hyduchuk7. Um, I think I'm on LinkedIn, but I, I don't really use that. Um, and so, yeah, I think Twitter and, and Instagram, um, you can, you can find me there, uh, generally doing posting about CrossFit stuff and, and whoop stuff and about the Buffalo bills. I don't know if, I don't know if you can see that in, in my background, but, uh, oh, yeah. obviously in the, in the playoffs this weekend, I, I don't know whenever this will air, Ho hopefully the bills will keep winning. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll keep on uh, keep on um, going down the road because I, I need a Super Bowl in my life. I feel that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for thanks. hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to uh, to following you guys and, and, and stuff like that. You guys have, have a, a great segment here. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks.